You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Have you ever had a season where your spiritual life just felt out of whack? Uh, You felt disconnected from God. Uh, Worship and prayer kind of felt mechanical and as if you were going through the motions. Uh, You find your heart kind of hardened to your own sin and callous to the needs of others. If you've been in a relationship with Jesus for any number of years, you've gone through a season or a cycle like this many times. Where, where just you may still be religious, but your, your heart is just not there, and it's become heart towards the Lord. It's kind of lost its softness and its tenderness before the Lord. When I say at 58, God rebukes Israel for empty religion and hard hearts. Verse 1, God tells Isaiah, Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. God is calling Israel to repentance. He does not mince words. He says, cry aloud, do not hold back. And in doing so, God identifies three marks of hard-heartedness in the Israelites. But he's doing more than simply calling out his people. He's calling them back to fresh, life-giving relationship with himself. So what is the path back to life-giving fellowship with God when your heart has become hard? And when your religious life feels like you're going through the motions. Today I want to show how the basic gospel is the path to a restored heart. And it's returning to both the hard news and the good news of the gospel. The hard news of our sin and God's judgment. And the good news of God's grace and mercy through Christ. I want to look at these three marks of hard-heartedness and show how when we forget the basic gospel, um, how it leads to this place of dead faith and a cow's heart. And the point that I want to drive home is that the basic gospel is the antidote for softening a hard heart and restoring life-giving relationship with God. So first, the first mark of hard-heartedness in Isaiah 58 is dead religion. Note there is much talk of fasting in Isaiah 58. This was a religious practice that outwardly looks devout. Uh, And fasting is a good thing. Uh, It's a biblical thing when done to submit ourselves to the Lord, when done with a right heart. But the Israelites were fasting in a way where their heart was not in the right place. Verse 2, we see the personality of God. He states... Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Now, on the surface, it looks like God is saying that Israel's in a great place. They're seeking me. They're seeking my ways. But when you look at the Hebrew syntax and grammar, in reality, what we see is that God is being sarcastic. He's being ironic. He's saying that in reality, the Israelites are not seeking him, and they are not concerned about his ways. When God declares in verse 4, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high, he's saying that their fasting and their religious practice was doing nothing to engender relational intimacy with God. And as we will see in our next point, they were not fasting 
in order to submit to and know God. They were fasting in order to control God. I'm sure we can all identify with dry spells and religious practice in our lives, where prayer and worship kind of feels like routine or just going through the motion. You don't necessarily feel a sense of connection to God. I had a conversation once with a person who said, you know, I, I just cannot worship God in a place like that or with music like that. And preferences are okay. We're all made differently and we connect to God in different ways, but it's really important never to lose sight that our worship of God is not based on the quality of a facility or quality of music, but it's based on the quality of the God that we serve. A first step in restoring joy and vibrancy to these areas of our lives involves returning to the basic gospel of who God is and what Jesus has done. When we remember the way that Jesus has rescued us from death, an affection wells up in our hearts. When we recall the generosity of God the Father and all that he has sacrificed through his Son, a tenderizing effect occurs in our hearts that leads us to desire to pray to him and to praise him. So the second mark of hard-heartedness in Isaiah 58 is entitlement towards the Lord. I can remember talking to a person my freshman year of college at Wake Forest, and I was talking to him about Jesus, and he said, you know, I don't want anything to do with God. He has disappointed me too many times, and he has never delivered when I've asked him. And I never would want to judge a person who clearly has had a sense of pain and disappointment in their spiritual life. Simultaneously, there's something upside down about the sentiment that he expressed. It's similar to what the Israelites say in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? You can see a deep sense of entitlement in the tone of the Israelites. The notion is, hey God, we've been religious. We've been putting in the work. Now it's time for you to give us what we want. Their religious practice did not have to do with honoring and loving the Lord. It had to do with trying to control and manipulate God in order to get what they wanted. There are very few postures that you can have in your heart that are more dangerous than having a sense of entitlement towards God. This is a hard word. I'm going to promise you what I'm about to say is probably going to rub you the wrong way. But I also want to promise you that it will protect you from bitterness towards the Lord down the road. And here's what it is. God does not owe us anything. The only thing we've earned from God is judgment through our sin. If we ever feel as if God owes us a better life, we need to take a look at Jesus, who literally lived a perfect life, and yet he suffered more than any person can imagine. Certainly we don't, we're not owed a better life than the person who died for our sins. Now the hard-heartedness reflected in entitlement is very dangerous, and it can draw a person into bitterness and distant from the Lord, and to walk away from their faith altogether. Matt Chandler, who's a pastor and uh, and and an author, he talked about how entitlement leads to people leaving the church. Here's what he said. Here's why people walk away from the church. When with our best white-knuckle discipline, we accomplish white-knuckle feats of religion and morality, and then God lets something bad happen to us. You let our wife leave us. You let a girl break our hearts. You let us not get into the school we wanted to get into. You let our parents get divorced. 
And our mindset is, I was good, and this is how you repay me. I behaved. I didn't see the bad movies. I didn't listen to the bad music. I did not. I did this. I did this. You owe me. And that's how you get the dechurched. They were sold, here's how you put God into your debt. But you don't put God into your debt. Blogger Laura Coulter uh, wrote about how in her singleness, she started to develop a sense of entitlement that corroded her relationship with the Lord. She grew more and more bitter, feeling like she had been a faithful Christian and she really deserved for God to give her a husband. And she started to, to, to draw farther and farther away from Christ. Well, her life changed when she came to this realization. She wrote, God owes me. Yes, he does. He owes me punishment for my sinful heart. So our hearts become hard-hearted and entitled when we forget the good news and the hard news of the gospel. When we forget the hard news of the gospel about our sin, we forget that God only owes us judgment. And when we forget the good news of God's grace, we forget that everything that we have is a gift that comes out of God's grace and his kindness and his generosity towards us. The Apostle James says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Therefore, when we remember both the good news and the hard news of the gospel, the Lord gives us a grateful heart that draws closer to him. So the first two marks of a hard heart revealed in Isaiah 58, one is dead religion, the other is a sense of entitlement. The final mark is manifested more at the social level. And that third mark is a callous heart towards the poor and the needy. Now, after calling out the empty religious practice and the entitlement of the Israelites, the Lord rebukes them for neglect of the poor and the oppressed. He says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. It's as if God's saying, like, enough with the fasting. It would just be better for you to go and feed the hungry and to pursue justice for the oppressed. A notion one can see in some corners of Christianity is that we justify ourselves by feeding the poor and by pursuing justice. In reality, a compassionate heart towards the poor naturally emanates from a person who understands that we are justified by grace alone and by faith alone. We all know that feeling of developing a hard heart towards the poor. Uh, on a person's worst day, that may look like looking at the poor and saying, get a job, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. People can make judgments about the lifestyles of the poor and just assume, well, this is your own fault. Uh, at times we can become annoyed by people who need charity. Well, this hard-heartedness is oblivious to our own spiritual poverty before God. The third stanza of the hymn, Rock of Ages, says it well. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. Every person comes before the throne of God totally impoverished with no merits by which we can justify ourselves. We are all naked in our sin, 
in need of Jesus to clothe us with his forgiveness and his righteousness. About 20 years ago, uh, I was in New Orleans with some friends, and it was a very hard season of my life. I was struggling with depression. I'd had to resign from a job uh, in Charlotte where I was teaching and move in with my parents. And so I sat down on a bench by the waterside, and I had my Bible, and a homeless person came and sat in the bench next to me. He saw that I had a Bible, and we started to talk about Jesus. And he shared with me his story. He said that he had struggled mightily with depression and anxiety, and uh, it got to a point where he couldn't work any longer. And so he lost his job, and then he didn't have any way to pay his rent. And so he was foreclosed on, and he had become homeless as a product of this. It was a big wake-up call for me, because when I looked at this man, I was looking at myself. The conditions of my life were exactly the same. I was just fortunate to have uh, health insurance where I could get good treatment, to have parents who were really generous, who could serve as a backdrop for me um, while I got my feet on the ground. And so with that being said, when we see people who are in need and who are poor, we are looking at ourselves in the mirror. Uh, we, if you are a person with very few resources, or you have no financial resources at all, you do not need to feel ashamed. Because in God's spiritual economy, we are all poor. And we all need the grace and generosity of the Lord every day. Out of this recognition should naturally come a compassion for the poor that flows from the reality that we're all beggars. That compassion should lead us to action and to take care of the needs of the poor. The Lord does not leave Israel in a place of despair. After rebuking the people, he says in verse 8, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. The light and the healing and the transformational work of Jesus it comes through repentance. But it's not a repentance that says, get your act together. It's a repentance of returning to the gospel, the hard news about our sin, and the great news about God's generous and abundant grace and forgiveness for those who come to him. And as we return to this basic gospel, the Lord, he humbles us. He softens our heart. He restores us to life-giving relationship with himself. And he leads us out in the light of Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.